Welcome to BSD Talk number 114. It's Friday, May 25th, 2007. The following interview is the third and last interview that I did at BSD Can in Ottawa, Canada. So here it is. Okay, so this will be BSD Talk number 114. It's Saturday, May 19, 2007. And we are still here at BSD Can with a bunch of people. So rather than having myself run around, why don't I have you each introduce yourselves and maybe a brief description of what you do here at FreeBSD. I'm uh, Brooks Davis and a member of the core team like the rest of the group, and I work on networking stack to some degree and in ports, mostly related to high-performance computing. My name is Warner Losh. I'm on the FreeBSD core team. I handle a lot of the conflict resolution that comes up with the core team. Uh, lately, I've been working on embedded systems and device drivers and devices that are found in embedded systems. I'm George Neville Neal. I'm a member of CORE, and I work in FreeBSD on networking, specifically IPSEC and IPv6. And on CORE, I also help with conflict resolution and also trying to get uh, new people with new pieces of code to talk to us, specifically some companies we've worked with lately. I'm Hiroki Sato from Tokyo, a core team member, and uh, I'm working for documentation engineering and Bluetooth engineering, and uh, also act as a uh, liaison with the Japanese and other Asian countries. My name is Robert Watson. You'll be shocked to hear that I'm also a member of the FreeBSD core team. Most of my work is in the area of networking and security uh, on the core team. I get involved in a lot of flag-waving and organizing, uh, helping to put together dev summits and getting roped into things. I also try very hard to convince other people to do things they don't really want to do. <laughs> He's very good at that. And this term core team has come around. Obviously, this isn't the entire core team, but it was nice that those of you who could make it could. So I don't know who to throw this question out to, but core team, what is it? Well, the FreeBSD core team is an elected body that helps run the FreeBSD project. Historically, the core team was the set of key central developers in the project, and about six years ago, a decision was made to move from a self-selected model in which people who were really important were on the core team to one in which the larger body of FreeBSD developers or committers uh, got to elect from among them uh, nine core team members. Uh, so the current core team is, I think, the fourth core team that's been elected. Mm-hmm. Our roles really varies over time. The rules by which we run are very well defined, but the specific responsibilities that we have aren't so well defined. And a lot of what we do, as you may have heard before, uh, is get involved in conflict resolution. And conflict resolution doesn't just mean dealing with conflicts when they happen. It means helping to get everyone in the project to work together to solve the problems that we're all interested in solving. Right. Another thing we, we do is facilitate the collaborative model that FreeBSD operates on. Individually, we will facilitate discussions, prod people into having the discussions in the right forums so that when things happen in the tree, they're not a surprise to everybody. One of the primaries that we had a problem with before the core team started doing this was drive-by commit. People would commit something, and it would just be very disruptive, and nobody liked it, or there were problems. And since we've been doing that, things have improved substantially. 
we don't do this necessarily. The core team says you have to do this. It would be like Robert telling somebody, oh, this networking thing, you need to post on this networking list to get this thing going uh, and talk to people to make sure what you're doing is a good idea and that people don't have problems with that. We do a lot of that individually, and oftentimes the core team doesn't get credit for doing that, but yet that's one of the responsibilities of being on the core team is to keep an eye out for those things and to head problems off at the pass, like Robert says. You know, one of the things I think a lot of us wind up doing, well, I know this happened when I joined Core, is I used to read a much smaller number of FreeBSD mailing lists. I only read the mailing lists that were specifically related to networking and current and a couple of other things. And now I wind up auditing a lot more lists so that we can sort of find out what's going on, what are people working on, so that we can make it easier for them to integrate stuff and to take all the rough edges off. And is this governance model based on other projects, or is this something unique to FreeBSD? It's um, something that we came up with uh, on our own, talking to the developers to find out what they were comfortable doing, looking to different government models, the U.S. Constitution, the way the governments run in Europe, and trying to pick the best pieces from all of those and to come up with a, a good system. And then once we had that, we've adapted it to this part was working, that part wasn't, and, and have tried to streamline the process. So we're not spending all our time in... Uh, bureaucratic voting and seconding and the motion carries and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually very important for our process that, that the process is extremely low friction because everyone's a, uh, a volunteer. Kirk likes to say in one of his talks that, you know, the big problem in open source is that your project always comes last. You know, people have to work, they have to eat, they have to sleep, you know, if they have vacations, then there's your project. Right. And one of the other things I think we should mention in the interview is there's one non-elected member of the core team who is the secretary. And actually, that's a really important role. Unfortunately, our secretary isn't at BSD CAN this year. But the secretary, is, who's Joe Gildall, Gildall yeah. is a really important member of the team because he actually keeps track of everything that we're doing and all the things we've thought about and the things that we haven't come to conclusions on. Uh, the secretary is really important because they will ping the rest of CORE saying, you know, three months ago we had this issue and it's just sat there and we haven't decided what to do about it. You know, and, and the secretary is in some ways actually sometimes driving CORE. They are our memory. So it's a, another really important component. Yeah. One of the key responsibilities of the CORE team is to be involved in, in the process of inducting new developers into the FreeBSD project. And we do that in two ways, one of which... Uh, is to help find people to mentor new developers to go and look for new people to join the project. This is something everyone in the FreeBSD project does, but Core has a particular responsibility in that area. The other thing we do is we actually vote on bringing new committers into the project. The Core team is, is delegated the responsibility of approving new source developers by the FreeBSD developer community. And when Robert says vote, one of the things I think is really important, one of the things I like about being on Core is it's not a you know 5-4 vote of the Supreme Court. It's by the time we get to the point of approving a new developer, usually it's very obvious that they're going to make it in, um, and that they've been they've talked they've been submitting patches, they've been talking to people, they've known on the mailing lists, and we really act as sort of in, in some ways a rubber stamp, and in some ways a place that people can come to and say, well, you know, this person maybe we want to think about it, or maybe we want to wait longer. So we we never wind up in a in a strange voting situation. It's more of a consensus model. Yeah, we we always try to work by consensus particularly with uh, the, the contentious issues. Does this piece of code go in? You know, these people are having a fight. How do we get them to resolve the fight? We try not to have it be a 5-4 vote. In fact, in the time I've been on the elected core team, we've never had a vote that was more than 8-1 to one or 7-1. to one. It's very rare to have more than one person 
vote against a particular motion because we take the time to talk amongst ourselves and, and come up with a, a consensus that best represents the needs of the project. And that's been primarily because we've had really good people on core who understand the need to do this and they understand the need to be flexible and to come and to think of the project's needs rather than their own personal agendas. And that's that's been very helpful to the project. And you do mention the word developer a lot. Is it just that your code is your currency when it comes to contacting core or does this also include end users and you know people who are contributing in other ways besides code? Well the core team is elected presently by uh, the group of the developers that have access to the source code. However, we interact with vendors who are not developers. We interact with users. At conferences such as this, we'll talk to different people who are using FreeBSD to find out what is working for them, what's not working for them, both from a technical perspective, maybe from a, a marketing perspective, if they're trying to get FreeBSD into their situation. So we are elected by the developers, but we have to represent the, to the project as a whole to the, to the wider FreeBSD community. And for instance, one of the people, Satasan, is working far more on documentation, and that's just, you know, that's a very important component, right? I mean, we always try to have all of the sections of the project represented on core, I think. Yeah. One of the key things that core members do, and again, this is not part of the formal job description, but happens in practice, is get involved in organizing events. And these events can be anything from FreeBSD Developer Summit, so we get our developers together to talk about things that are coming and things that have happened, uh, to organizing conferences and getting involved with our user bases. George, Sarasan, and I have all been involved in organizing BSD conferences in the last couple of years, uh, and that's a very important thing to do. And it's something that it helps to have the authority of a core team hat, as it were, uh, to get involved with. People look to us to try and help make these things happen and make them a success. How do you maintain transparency for the users and developers? Well, there is the core report. So one of the things that is published periodically... <laughs> we have a monthly report that goes out mostly monthly. <clears throat> yeah, is the best way to put it. Uh, and so obviously things that are of a, a sensitive nature wouldn't wind up in that report. Um, sensitive nature being things like if we have to deal with a company under an NDA or if we have to deal with a legal issue which thankfully there haven't been very many in my term on core, uh, then that wouldn't go into the core report. But we put probably 90% of the things that we talk about, at least what they were talking about, how we voted, how it went out, into the core report. Yeah, and that goes out to the developers. Um, yeah. So there's, we're probably not as good as we could be. And hopefully this interview will help uh, in terms of exposing what we do to the broader community. Right. Yeah, and another thing that our first... Core secretary, who actually is on core now, came up with was resist the urge to purge. Um, initially, we thought, oh well, that's going to be should be private, and that should be private, and that should be private. And really, it's the more the exception than the rule. If there's a couple of people who came to us for a dispute resolution, and we resolve the dispute, and they don't want it published, and it was a, a private matter that didn't involve anybody else, there's no need to publish that. If there were things that affected the wider project that if we didn't have an NDA with a company, which we have very few of, we will report that even if it turns out to be a little embarrassing for some people or for the project, simply because it's something that we talked about and it's something that the larger community needs to know about. They need to know about the good as well as the bad in order to have a balanced view of how the project's going. Yeah. The FreeBC project has very few private mailing lists and, and private organizations. As much as we possibly can, we like to keep the business of the project on the public mailing lists, on the websites, and so on. The only real exceptions are situations where in order to negotiate and resolve conflicts or to come to a mutual understanding in ways where having much larger groups involved uh, would be detrimental 
we'll, we'll do that. Uh, for example, the core team has a private mailing list. Uh, the release engineering team has a private mailing list. But this is something that we really actively discourage. Yeah, and oftentimes people will come to core and say, I have this issue. We'll say, great. What you need to do is you need to talk about it on the Arch mailing list or on the Net mailing list or something so that um, as little as possible winds up in the core mailbox that is private and as much as possible winds up in the public mailing list. So again, that's sometimes will be approached as individual core members. You know, does this go to core? Does it go to someplace else? And we try to encourage people to talk and to disclose as much as possible to as wide a group of people as possible so that everybody knows what's going on and there are no surprises. People hate surprises. They might hate bad news, but they hate surprises worse. And is most of the core interaction done over the internet, or are there physical meetings that you have periodically? Primarily over the internet. We've had uh, we meet up at conferences like this, or we've we've never had everyone, at least in this this core, in the same place. But you know, we'll get a quorum typically at a at a conference, and and we also have done uh, a, a telecon or two. And one of the problems we have is that uh, you have people who are spread across, I think, 14 time zones between oh, you and me. Previous project, yeah. Well, and just the people on core, you know, we have Robert and Wilco in England and Europe, and then Satosan and I are in Japan, and the two of you guys are in the U.S., so it's actually very hard to get everyone, even on a, on a phone call, it's to find the one hour that we're all awake. Yeah, these people, these people haven't gone to sleep yet. These people are just waking yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it has to be through email. Yeah. And IRC. Yeah. And usually it's these people are staying up late for the call or these yeah. people are getting up yeah. early yeah. for the call. Yeah. So we don't tend to do calls unless we have a lot of stuff to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. We managed the one call when, when George and Sato-san were uh, on the West Coast at the time in the U.S. and <laughs> compressed the time a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the last time the FreeBSD core team was all in one place at the same time. It may have been at BSDCon in 2000 in Monterey. It's possible it happened since then, but I don't remember it happening since then. Yeah, and no. we, that, was, that was the time we tried to all go to dinner. Yes. Yeah. But we, won't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> and are these bylaws and rules published anywhere? The FreeBSD bylaws are published. Um, they're not a, it's not really a legal document in the sense that if you were to look for loopholes in it, you could probably find loopholes, but it's more a statement of principles of this is how the core team is elected, this is how many people are on the core team, and if the core team, through resignation or whatever, drops below a certain number, there's a new, a new a special election at that point. We tried very hard to avoid um, a, a legalistic approach to that so that you know, it wouldn't encourage people to try to use the, the exact written thing as leverage in, in, in some instance. We want it to be a project where everybody gets along and everybody agrees on what's going on. And we found that having the, the broad outlines works really well, but if you write all the details down, people will say, well, this detail and this detail combined, and therefore I'm right, and therefore you should do it, rather than people thinking, well, gee, what's best for the project? And how does that fit in with the general principles of the project that we have? I think the core team, at least my impression, uh, so this is my first term on core. The two, I think Robert and Warner have both been on at least once before. Yeah, I think so, I've been on since the first elected core. Yeah, Robert uh, and I both have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I actually see core as sort of a concentrated version of the FreeBSD community in a way. The, the FreeBSD community works very hard to make sure that the people who actually join and get commit bits are productive people who can work well in a group, et cetera, et cetera. And that is even more important on core, because if one of us decided to cause trouble for the rest of them, 
it would be a very bad thing. It would make things really, really hard. So I think it's you know, the community has been relatively good in, in the previous elections, even to this one, in trying to pick people who would be able to work well on core and who would be able to do the work that core needs to do. Yeah. One of the interesting open source problems is, you know, email is a terrible communications vehicle. It really is one of the worst ones out there. It's especially difficult if you have many people who speak many different languages and are communicating in English, which, you know, has a lot of subtlety to it, but that makes life more difficult. Open source developers are, are necessarily independent thinkers who know how to think for themselves and, and know what they want. And getting these people to get along is a tricky business. I think we do remarkably well, and I'm very proud of the work that we've done to do that. And I'm very proud of our community for accepting the need to do this and recognizing the value in doing this. We could not do this without the community buy-in to that, and I, I think that's very important to, to emphasize. We're just representatives of the community, and the community's doing these things, and it's making FreeBSD very successful. Yeah, for people who think that Core is running the project, they're completely wrong. The project is running Core, sometimes into the ground, but mostly just running us. <laughs> and some people might you know, have a question let's say for the next version of FreeBSD, are you deciding whether or not, say, ZFS goes in, or is it the subsystem maintainers that do that, and you would only be involved if there was some dispute around well, that inclusion? Typically, we try to delegate the decision of whether something goes in or not to the release engineering team. That's a team who's set up to, to do the bills, to see the problems that are going on, to track the interactions between the different subsystems, and we usually leave it to, to their call. Um, whether or not something goes in. We reserve the right to say, well, for this reason or that reason, this thing needs to go in. But we don't generally like to do that. We like to, again, work more on a consensus-building format rather than a, a dictatorial approach. And I think it's really a lot of it is the developers. You'll see if something is not ready and someone attempts to commit it, that there will be a lot of, there'll be a flurry of discussion on the mailing list saying, whoa, 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 slow down. And I, don't, I mean, certainly in the, the short time I've been on core, we've never had to say something like, no, no, that absolutely cannot go in. You, um, okay. It's the developers who are doing most of that work. Right, and, and sometimes core has to intervene to say things can't go in for legal reasons. Somebody approaches license. us, there's a you know, code ownership issue or a license issue or a license policy issue that core has to decide. But once we've decided those things, we let the, the release engineer figure out how to implement them best because they're in the best position to know how to do that. We try to do as little as we can with direct force and a lot as much as we can with indirect force and, and having the forces of the project carry in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's sort of a delegation of authority. I mean, the model is that the core team is elected by the developers to represent the developers and then essentially grants authority down the stack to a series of organizations that have charters. So, for example, the release engineering team, the security team, and so on, uh, the port manager team, all have charters that govern the basic intent of their organizations, which are approved by the core team. That doesn't mean the core team is directing the day-to-day -day activities. I think it's a bit more subtle than that. The role we have is, is charitably referred to as uh, trying to herd cats. We make sure that everyone just sort of generally kind of goes in the right direction, and we leave the details up to the people who are involved. At the end of the day, in, in open source and in a volunteer project, people do the work they want to do. And so part of our job is to make sure that they understand the right work to do and to help them understand the things that are missing, find the things that need to be done that are getting neglected, and make sure that everyone talks to each other so that no one, as we say, gets surprised. And one of the things Robert mentioned that I think probably bears some explanation is hats. So you'll often see mail on our mailing lists of, you know, I'm doing this with my core hat on. 
or I'm doing, you know, someone is doing it with their documentation hat on or whatever. There are a small number of responsibility, named responsibilities that are jokingly called hats. So, you know, with the security hat on, the security officer may say that this thing needs to be fixed or this can't go out or there's some issue. And Core actually tries to put on the Core hat as little as it possibly can and to have the other teams that are responsible for things, documentation, ports, security, release engineering, to use their abilities and to work with the developers out in the community to get the right things in their areas to happen. And who is the legal entity that enters into agreements for maybe redistribution? That would be the FreeBSD Foundation is the one that typically enters into agreements to redistribute Java, for example, or um, other things, although individual companies also enter into legal agreements that also allow the FreeBSD project to incorporate the things. That's, that happens less often, but it, it has happened. Usually how well that happens is if a company pays a developer to develop some software, they'll sign an NDA with the hardware manufacturer, pay the developer to uh, develop the driver for that, that hardware, and then give that driver to the FreeBSD project by committing it into the tree. So there, the project doesn't have a legal relationship to the original hardware maker, but the company that commissioned the work makes sure that they've entered into a legal agreement with the hardware company such that it can be contributed to FreeBSD. Yeah, one of the, the key points there is that the relationship between developers and the FreeBSD project is that of, of individuals. People as individuals are given commit rights to the tree, not companies. And often people are committed to do work for the company that they're doing. For example, we've granted commit access uh, to developers from Intel and a number of other companies so that they can bring their drivers into the tree. But the relationship is between the project and the individual. So the core team itself isn't a, a legal entity in the United States, rather it's just a, a group of people? Yeah, the core team really doesn't have a legal existence for that matter. The project itself is not really a legal entity. The, the foundation exists separate from the project to, to enter into agreements, among other things, but the project itself is more amorphous. And given the international character of, of the project and core, it would be interesting to figure out under which laws we could be governed. Like currently we have four countries represented on core? Five. Five, 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 five countries. Yeah. Which is not bad, given that we only have uh, nine, nine members. Nine members. Yeah. So. so one of the things that I do uh, when I wear multiple hats is that I sit on the board of the FreeBC Foundation as well as the FreeBC core team. And this is an, an important distinction. I, I act with both hats at various times. The FreeBC Foundation does play an important role for the project. Uh, we support the project in a legal sense. We provide legal support. Uh, we help to manage donations. Uh, we help to go into agreements with various organizations that the FreeBC project does deal with. For example, we've been involved in acquiring hardware from various hardware vendors and accepting donations uh, from companies like Cisco, Coverity, uh, and a great many others. But the FreeBSD Foundation as an organization is not involved in day-to-day -day development. We've tried to separate the legal, legal aspects from the development access as much as possible. Most developers are not interested in dealing with NDAs and contracts and all these things. Um, what they're really interested in doing is, is getting their work done. And the structure of the FreeBSD project is very much about trying to facilitate developers doing what it is they want to do, making it as easy as possible for them to contribute what they're contributing to the project. And when FreeBSD become so popular that it's on 90% of the desktops around the world. Will this model scale? I think that's an interesting question. I mean, we've always been very interested in, in, in how FreeBSD as an organization works. I mean, that's how you get the introspection that led to the elected FreeBSD core team, um, to the structure in which we have all these groups that interact, the charters they have, 
So we're quite interested in, in how that scales up. And I've noticed in the last couple of years that we've really grown an ecology of other projects around the FreeBSD project, organizations that consume our software, derive things from their software, our software. And that's a scalability model that really does work. The FreeBSD project has grown quite comfortably to, to 300 developers, and I see it growing quite a bit more. But uh, projects like PCBSD, uh, FreeNAS, DesktopBSD, and so on, these are all things that we didn't see happening four or five years ago. And now they're very successful ways in which our community grows beyond just the sort of the small centralized, or at least relatively small centralized organization of the FreeBSD project. I actually think the project can continue to grow at, at this current rate. I mean, I would be ecstatic to see 90% of the desktops in the world running BSD-derived systems. I don't think that given our charter, and I mean the project as opposed to just the core team, that there's any reason we couldn't take this model to a much larger group of people or a much larger distribution. Um, it's a relatively decentralized model, but the most important thing is that thus far, most of the people who joined the project and all of the people who remained on the project, they have the one thing that's really important for something like this to succeed, which is we all have relatively the same goal. Um, in a company, people have a completely different goal from the company. Their goal is to make as much money from the company as possible, and the company's goal is to make as much money as possible off the people they've hired. Well, we don't have that kind of contention in the FreeBSD project. Our goal is to build really good code that provides an operating system, and that's why we're here. We're all interested in, in what we build. Um, and we're doing, you know, if we're doing it for free, we better be really interested in what we're doing. So you know, if we grew to 1,000 developers, hopefully not tomorrow, but over time, and we grew to a much broader audience, Certainly the PCBSDs and PFSense and FreeNAS and all the other projects would be able to target those markets effectively while still interacting with us and being able to take the things that we've done and make them usable to specific segments of different communities. I think there's no reason it couldn't scale. Yeah, also as we've grown, we've developed more little sub-projects even within the project. Initially when we started out, all commit bits were exactly the same. You could commit to ports, you could commit to documentation, you commit to source. As we grew, we've become, we've made those commit bits more specialized. And as we grow even further, there'll be additional portions of the project that, depending on what the needs are at the time, will, will happen. These things just kind of grow up organically as a need develops. And that's one of the things that uh, we need to be mindful of and, and, and keep an eye out for so that we can, when the time is right, say, okay, this is a new thing that we're going to start having a new group of people within the project do. And that helps the scalability because then I don't have to focus on that one thing unless I'm interested in that one thing. And that helps to, with the information flow and the information overload that you would otherwise suffer. If, I, if you had to read every commit message and every mail message about source and doc and ports and you weren't interested in ports, then that's a, a very, you have a very low signal to noise ratio in, in the, your, what the project is expecting from you. And people go, I don't know if I want to do that. But if you just require them to read one set of lists, I'm interested in source, I'll just read the source lists and the important port information winds up there, then that's much easier for the, the people to manage. And that's one thing we need to would consider as we would grow further is the ability to make sure that things remain, I guess, in the right size with the right amount of information flowing. And one of the nice things in this project um, that I've seen is that the, that separation of responsibility hasn't created a hierarchy. Right? There is no hierarchy between the different types of bits that you have. People who work on source are not better than anyone else. People who work on doc don't have control over someone else, that kind of thing. It's all about respect. I mean, it's about the fact that, you know, 
getting the doc stuff to work and, and writing things correctly and getting it to be translated and all of that's something that I cannot do. And there are many people who work on other parts of the system, who work on ports, who work on other parts, or who work even in file systems. I would never touch the file system code because much as I could read it over and try to figure it out, there are people who are, who are the experts on that, and I would definitely, if I saw a bug, talk to them. And the same way people, once they find out who's working on which thing within the project, will say to me, okay, I, I, you know, I had this actually happen this morning. I've seen this one bug in IPv6. Is this the right patch? And there's a lot of that that goes on. So the, I think we can continue to split things up without having traditional balkanization where at some point we have so many little subgroups that eventually there's a war. Right? I don't think we would ever have that in the project. I think the community model the FreeBC project is based on is, is the reason for the FreeBC project's success. I mean, obviously, we bring together people with enormous expertise and backgrounds and, and resources and, and skills and so on, but having a self-sustaining community that grows in the way that it does uh, is, is really why we're so effective at what we do and uh, something I'm very pleased about and, and hope to continue being involved in for a long time to come. Yeah, the, the reason we tend not to get balkanization right now is people have their feet in multiple areas. And when you have balkanization, you tend to have people just in one area. And that also helps to kind of create a, more of a sense of an interlocking set of communities that's the greater FreeBSD project. And that's another reason why the little side projects are also able to hook in, because they're able to get their feet into the project and grow the project without the whole project having to know about network-attached storage. You know, there's a very successful network attack storage sub uh, project that's auxiliary to the project that is for that. And earlier we were talking about new features and new releases, and one of the topics I think a lot of people would be interested in is the next release of FreeBSD. And do you guys have secret knowledge as to when it's coming out and what are all those special secret features we're waiting to see? I don't think we ever allow secret features, do we? <laughs> uh, secret features wouldn't be very open source. Uh, um, our process is, is very open, and we try to keep it as open as we can. I think the current plan for FreeBSD 7 is to get it out the door this summer. There's a lot of really exciting stuff in there, um, everything from 10 gigabits network performance to ZFS to SCTP. I mean, we have a lot of stuff in there. It's, it's I find it hard to remember everything that is in FreeBSD 7. You know, people say, what's coming in? We take it for granted because we work with it for every day. Then you take a step back. We had a FreeBSD developer summit earlier this week, and I talked to Ken Smith, who's our release engineer, and we looked at the list, and we were like, there's a lot of stuff in here. So it's a little hard to keep track of everything. Um, we'll see it come to fruition uh, sometime over the next think, four to six months. Uh, it takes a long time to shake out a new release, but this one is looking like a, like a very good one. We have a lot of really nice stuff in there. Are there plans to backport any of those nice features to previous versions? A lot of the features have been backported. Um, ZFS hasn't. It's one of the big new features. But oftentimes people will do the development in 6.x, port it to current, and then when the time comes after it's matured in current and they've shaken out the integration bugs, it goes right back into to 6 relatively quickly. So there's a number of the features that uh, will be in 7 that might also appear in a future 6.x release. Yeah. Or hesitates. likely appear in a future 6.x release. One hesitates to take the hot air out of one's own balloon, but if you look at the release notes for a major new FreeBSD release, you'll notice that a lot of items in the release notes are not merged because they've already quietly been backported into a previous version of FreeBSD and made available there. On the other hand, there are a lot of features that can't be brought back. For example, uh, a lot of the SMP scalability work we've done that have really dramatically improved performance for uh, databases on, on heavily multi-core systems uh, required fundamental changes lower down in the system, the kind of thing that is too risky to merge back to an existing production branch and, and needs time to shake out. And that's what it's been getting in 7. So uh, I don't think people will be disappointed with 7 as compared to 6. So. 
7.0 volts has uh, uh, various bug fixes, and the uh, bug fixes uh, usually but ported to 6.x. So, as a very reluctant users and uh, corporate users that use need uh, 6.x releases, please try the uh, new 6.0 release. And uh, developers focus on developing on the current and the 7.x release uh, after the release of the 7.0, but the bug fix is still backported. Yeah, we try to provide a spectrum of releases for our users, which is, you know, well, it uses up a lot of our time, but the, the heavily branch we development we do allows us to to develop on a on an entirely new release of 7.x at the same time as we continue to do feature development on 6.x. You know, provide a place for customers who are consumers who are looking for something very stable they can run on with new features at the same time as we continue to support the end of the 5.x branch with security fixes and, and minor bug fixes and so on. And this makes our platform very appealing to, to companies who are looking for a variety of places to sit. Our appliance developers often live on the very latest version of FreeBSD because they're planning on releasing a product you know, in 6, 12 months' time and they can't afford to be running an old branch by the time it comes out. On the other hand, ISPs like to run on 6.x or even 5.x because it's a well-tested technology. They can't change the software they're running on thousands of machines overnight. And this produces a lot of work, but at the same time, it means that you know, we can offer our users something which you know, most other open source projects and, and commercial companies can't offer their customers. We have a very broad customer base. And as Robert's talking about, ISPs, device manufacturers, their models are going to be completely different. So definitely having the different releases is the way to go and having people picking up this six release. I actually believe PCBSD uses, follows stable as opposed to current. So mm -hmm. they're going to be very interested in the things that get put back into six bug fixes. And there are features that definitely will wind up back in six. The, the bigger reasons not to merge things backwards are if a new feature absolutely had to use a new kernel API or kernel, a, uh, kernel API change. And then it's just very hard. We, we don't break kernel ABI compatibility across, across the major branches. Any new architectures? Yes. We're working presently, I'll be giving a talk later today, we're working uh, presently on bringing FreeBSD to MIPS and to bringing, uh, expanding the range of system-on-chips that FreeBSD runs on for PowerPC and for ARM. One of the areas that I've been working on heavily is making sure that we're starting to develop relationships with vendors so that we can get the new information in the pipeline before it's released rather than after, so we have a chance to be ahead of the curve rather than play catch-up. All right, well, thank you very much for taking the time out of all of your busy schedules for the interview. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, well, thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk, number 114.